Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up. Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs. Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. Welcome in tonight, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight we're coming live from Colorado Springs, Colorado, where the temperature right now is 70 degrees. New York City, 54. Washington, D.C., 61. And Los Angeles, 68 degrees. Folks, make no mistake about it. Tonight we touch on a subject, the fear factor and acts of intimidation by the federal government. Folks, don't go anywhere AJC Radio kicks off right now. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt. And I'll tell you right now, folks, this is a humdinger. And this is some tragic information that you are going to hear tonight that you have to ask the question, is this happening in America, and I, the answer is very simple, and it's a resounding yes. 
that acts of intimidation have gone on in this country and continue to over a long period of time. We'll be honored to have a very special guest, Robert Blagojevich. Uh, he is the brother of uh, the uh, convicted uh, uh, governor of Illinois, um, uh, Rob, uh, excuse me, Rod uh, Blagojevich, and uh, he's going to tell his story, some things that he suffered, and some acts of intimidation that will blow your mind. Uh, read his book, Fundraiser A. He's going to be discussing the, the information in that book. It will blow you away. Also, we're going to have on the second segment of this program, uh, Howell Waltz, another gentleman that went through a huge injustice, suffering actions that you just think it cannot possibly be true. And we're going to dig into all of that. Folks, this is a very, very full show, informative. Grab the family members, get them around the computer, the telephone, whichever you prefer, because tonight uh, we dig into a very serious issue that must be addressed in this country. And uh, Dennis Cliff, Lisa, we were talking prior to coming on the air tonight in regards to these things occurring uh, in the place we call America. Dennis, when you hear that these abuses, these are just two people. They, this happens in the number of the thousands of people that are done wrong uh, by the criminal justice system in this country. Uh, and not only the system, not only entities of the federal government, we're talking every way, every point that you turn to, we find abuse and intimidation. Your thoughts on that, Dennis? Yes, I mean, without accountability, period. Uh, whether you're the FBI, it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, the whole purpose is it's all about justice. But when we give uh, our, our law enforcement, uh, our, these in, when we give these individuals these powers that are not checked, there's no balances, there's no check. If they say it, then it is, and, and that don't work for you. And that's how we get incidents like these where people are wrongfully convicted, thrown in prison, uh, life is ruined. All because someone has that power, and there's no checks and balances. We got to fix our justice. That, that, that's got to be fixed. And uh, Cliff, when you when you read about these things, we were talking about a story which we're going to go into now. Uh, and, and Cliff, I'll give you the the go ahead if you want to go on that story in regards to uh, a prosecutor raping a young lady uh, and doing those things in order, uh, basically, to exchange for her silence and with threats made by a prosecutor. He raped her and abused his power. Tell the folks a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, this story is, it's, it's mind-blowing, it's disgusting, it is, I mean, here you have a prosecutor who's prosecuting the case. This is his star witness, and uh, she, you know, she was, she was a young woman who had been abused most of her life, had been sexually abused by uh, several people from the time she was a toddler. Uh, she was out jogging with a couple of her friends who were black. She is a, uh, a white female. And basically one of the whole, most horrendous hate crimes that you can imagine is her white, her black friends were gunned down in front of her. So it, it, she was a star witness of, uh, in this case, the prosecutor raped her continually at 16 years old, raped her continually and told her that if she told anyone about the rape that it would negate the the case. The case would be thrown out, and the 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 murderer would get out of prison, and then come to find her. That is how he kept her under his thumb. And I, I mean, you look at these like, okay, what level of uh, of abuse? It it is unimaginable. This prosecutor became a judge. 
And just recently, this article came out uh, last week. And so now him as a judge, she comes out, she says, okay, the murderer ended up on death row. He ended up being executed. And so now she felt comfortable enough that I know he's never going to get out because she he brainwashed her to believe what he had said, that if you if you tell that I've been raping you, that this man is going to get out and he's going to come get you. Now she's coming out against this former prosecutor who became a federal judge, been sitting on the bench uh, for the last 25 years since this happened. And she said, now I'm coming after you. And ironically, he retires the day he gets, you know, these accusations come out. And and this is, I'll tell you what, this is the reason immunity has to be eliminated from prosecutors, from the the system, period. I agree, I agree. If if you inject immunity, there is no accountability. None. So how does a judge continue to move up the ranks – and does exactly what he does to this. He is a predator. He does these things to a 16-year-old girl. He basically set the set the stage, knew everything about her, and began to exploit and manipulate this young girl. This is outrageous. How does this get? I, I don't get it. It's amazing. It's amazing. Then you know what? It is the poster child of why immunity must be taken out of the criminal justice system. Exactly, because you look at this and you say, okay, this is this is one crime out of many that's been, uh, you know, basically done by a prosecutor. What about all the young women out there who who aren't speaking up? What about the people who know that their prosecutor, uh, you know, committed prosecutorial misconduct, but they can't say anything about it or nobody hears them? What it does, the the immunity, what it does is allow this to become a systematic issue, an entire problem where the whole system is broken. If you have a man doing something this blatant, as this is the prosecutor. A 16-year-old girl raping her and say, if you say anything, then this, this killer is going to get out and he's going to get you. How do you put somebody through that type of psychological, emotional... You're saying, that, you're saying this individual is a, a, immune to breaking the law. I can break the law and you cannot prosecute me because I'm a prosecutor or a judge. This, that doesn't make any sense. Well, now, Dennis, his defense is that he didn't do anything wrong. It was a bad lapse in judgment. Oh, wow. A lapse in judgment. A bad lapse in judgment. That's amazing to me. That he continually raped a 16-year-old girl. It was a bad lapse in judgment. So if that's the case, then every rapist in prison today, let them go. uh, You know what? They're monsters. They're predators. They're this and that. But this is what you call unequal justice. Exactly. How How do the rules change? From a judge to a citizen, you are held to a higher standard as a judge, as an officer of the court, and the oath that you took to uphold the Constitution and protect the rights of its citizens. And that is the answer, and we as a society set back and just accept that garbage. That's straight garbage. Exactly, I agree. That's unbelievable. I'm sure we'll discuss this even further. It makes you sick. Uh, to the stomach that this type of, ladies and gentlemen of America, make no mistake about it, this is why justice must be sought out, that the fight for justice must continue. AJC Radio will continue to seek justice to bring the message of justice all around the world. Lisa, our disclaimer, please. Yes, we'd like to remind everyone that we are not attorneys and that a just cause does not provide legal advice. 
you want to contact your personal legal advisor for all of your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a Just Cause or AJC Radio. And as always, we want to thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend time with us this evening. And thank you for that, Lisa. Ladies and gentlemen, pull up a seat. Right now it's 810 on the East Coast, but supper time maybe. And in California and right here in Colorado, if you want to grab something to eat, pull up a chair, folks. This show is about to get very interesting. Coming up, Robert Blagojevich, brother of Rod uh, Blagojevich, the ex-governor of Illinois, speaks to injustice at a level we have not even begun to understand. That's coming up next on the other side of this break. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt. We're coming back with the fear factor intimidation in America by the federal government. We'll be right back. With one call, you don't have to be a victim anymore. These fights are getting worse. I don't know what to do. With one call, you can end the cycle of violence. We're glad you called. The first thing we want to do is to ensure your safety. With one call, you can change everything. To speak to a domestic abuse victim advocate, contact your local family advocacy program. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252 That is a just cause, and we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. I stand for dignity. I stand for respect. I stand for fairness. Red, yellow, black, white. We're all the same color. When you turn out the lights.
And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, where we seek to bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight we touch on on a very serious topic. I'm Again, I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Dennis Merritt. And folks, uh, if you want to join in the conversation tonight, feel free to call in 347-838-8976. And right now we're going to actually bring our very, very special guest, uh, Robert Blagojevich. Uh, he is the author of Fundraiser A, and uh, we've had an opportunity to uh, uh, read his book and, and, and learn some things, and he's going to tell his story uh, tonight uh, in regards to uh, what he has gone through. And, boy, this is going to be very, very good, I think, for the American people. And, Robert, are you there? Yes, I am. Thank you so much, Robert. And to not get tongue twisted tonight, is it okay if I call you Robert? You sure can. And if you want to make it real easy, you can call me Rob, which is really what I go by. But we had to differentiate me from my brother Rod during the trial, yeah. so he chose Robert. So please call me Rob. Well, thank you so very much. And, and Robert, uh, uh, I have learned some things in reading Fundraiser A that, has, I'll tell you, has, has shook me to the core uh, of the – and what a proper topic for this show tonight, Fear Factor, uh, the acts and the conduct – uh, and the lengths that our government will go uh, go to uh, to administer injustice, uh, and that is something that has blown my mind. And I'm going to let you uh, give you the floor, uh, Robert, and tell your story uh, of what has happened and what has, what you have learned. And your book was is honestly fascinating. And uh, we'll ask some questions here along the way, but I just want the American people uh, to hear. And, and some may call in, may have some questions, but I think the the information and in, that in, in that book uh, was absolutely overwhelming to me, and I am again blown away and uh, how you have stood as a soldier in the midst of such corruption. And I do thank you for taking some time out of your schedule tonight to join us. Well, Lamont, thanks for having me on, and uh, it's a pleasure to speak to your audience this evening. And uh, my story is really a simple one. It's a, it's a story of an American citizen who served his country on active duty for five years, five and a half years, and in the reserves, retiring as a lieutenant colonel, always believed that uh, in the United States, believed in justice and fairness, uh, paid my taxes. And in August of 2008, my brother, Rod, uh, who was at that time a, uh, his, in his second term of governor of the state of Illinois, was asked me to do some fundraising for him to the end of the year. He had told me he could not trust anyone to do that, to do that for him any longer. Uh, the, two, the people who were doing it for him, unfortunately, had been prosecuted, not on uh, fundraising charges, but on other uh, charges that one was convicted and sentenced to 10 years, another one, uh, IRS charges of tax evasion, and ultimately he committed suicide because the pressure was so great on him facing prosecution and i told my brother that i would be happy to help him but there were two conditions that i would place on him if i were to do this for him for four months he asked me to do it through august to december of 2008 uh the conditions were one i would never play anyone for a campaign contribution and two rod and i had to get along we uh, grew up very close uh running the streets of chicago on the northwest side uh did a lot of things together with our neighborhood friends uh, but we drifted apart as I went away to college, served in the Army, and then ended up in Nashville, Tennessee uh, in business while he pursued a political career. So we, I thought it would be an opportunity for me to get closer to my brother, and I can say 
that uh, he never one time asked me to play anyone for a contribution. Uh, and uh, I ethically and properly conducted myself fundraising. Uh, and unfortunately, near the end, Rod and I were not getting along, and I was prepared to leave him after I completed my four months of fundraising. During that time, that four months, uh, I was nibbled around and approached with quid pro quos. That is, people asking uh, for a governmental action in return for a campaign contribution. The government wiretapped us during that time for 50 days. Uh, they had over 1,500 conversations of mine. Uh, 284 of those were with family. And if anyone were to listen to all those calls objectively and go through all the discovery that the government uh, provided to us through their interviews of in, in their investigation. No one ever said any bad thing about me, and the tapes were very clear that I rebuffed people all the time. One of mm-hmm. the most egregious approaches that I was uh, faced with were two emissaries from, at that time, Congressman Jesse Jackson, Jr. Uh, one of the men was a close friend of his father, Reverend Jackson, and he had told me that the Reverend wanted to see his son appointed to the Senate seat, and uh, this particular emissary and the other had offered, one had offered $1.5 million to uh, fundraise 500000 by the end of 2008, uh, and then when the congressman was then Senator Jackson, he would raise another million dollars. The other individual who, was, who approached me at a, separate, separate, a second time, a separate time, who had both had a coffee meeting, breakfast meeting in downtown Chicago with Congressman Jackson, the day of the first approach, which was October 28, 2008, and the second approach was uh, October 31st, this gentleman offered a $6 million package. $1 million by the end of the year they would raise for my brother, and then $5 million would be raised by Congressman Jackson uh, while he was senator in the Senate seat. And I was flabbergasted by those approaches, and I rebuffed them. I told them my brother was going to do the right thing for the people of Illinois, and it wasn't about money for him, and, and Obama's seat was not for sale. Uh, as it turns out, uh, we were the wiretaps, the investigation. My brother, on December 9th, uh, early in the morning, was arrested by the FBI. That morning, 621 in the morning, my doorbell started ringing, and it wouldn't stop ringing. I thought it was just someone off the street of Chicago harassing me uh, indiscriminately and as it turned out when i went downstairs there were two men in trench coats flashing fbi badges demanding uh that i turn over documents and i let them into the friends of blagojevich conference room and campaign office and that's that changed my life irreparably uh i learned very hard lessons through that period uh not knowing where it was going to go was indicted on two counts of wire fraud uh, in April of 2009, and a year later, Patrick Fitzgerald, the then U.S. attorney, as the Supreme Court was reviewing the actual law that Rod that I was charged under, which is the Honest Services Law, a very vague law that essentially, uh, if you were an employee at a company and you lied to your boss and said that you were you were sick and said you go to a ball game, you were in possible violation of honest services and could, in theory, be prosecuted. And so. The law was very vaguely written, and there were three challenges to that that the Supreme Court was going to hear while we were on trial. In the meantime, Fitzgerald added three more charges to me to to, to hedge his bets, uh, because if in the event the Supreme Court struck down on his services, 
I would have had no charges. I would have been free. Instead, he added three more charges, extortion, conspiracy to extort, and bribery. And the question I asked Lamont, even in my book, was if I did all those things, why did you not indict me the first, with the first indictment with five charges as opposed okay. to two? Uh, and so that was the beginning of many things that I learned along the way. Shortly yeah. after, and please stop me if you want me to stop. I can keep going here. Yeah, yeah, Rob. I got a question for you to that fact. Sure. It's it, and it sounds like as, as that question is asked, uh, doing you know my research, um, your brother, uh, the governor, seemed very in tuned with the people of Chicago. Uh, he was concerned about uh, programs that helped inner city kids. Uh, he seemed focused here, uh, and I think an answer to your question is a guess, if you will, uh, to why does the prosecution step back and come with initial charges and again i believe it goes to the fear factor and for leverage and i think if as i read your book correctly they were looking for an opportunity to use you against your own brother you uh, lamont you read the book that's exactly right shortly after my first arraignment in chicago which was uh april 13th 2009 uh i came home to nashville and got a call from my lawyer a day or two later saying that he had gotten a call from the lead prosecutor, Reed Shar, and he was offering a global solution. And I asked my attorney, Michael Ettinger, what does that mean? He said, they, are, they want you to go talk to your brother and, come, and talk his brothers and come up with a family solution that could take care of this problem and, and theoretically avoid trial. In other words, they wanted me to get my brother to plea or my brother to cop a plea to save me from prosecution. And I told uh, Mike that, no, I'm not going to do that. I didn't do anything wrong, and nor am I going to ask my brother or even say anything to him, which I never did. To this day, he does not know that I was approached to cut a deal with the feds. And it was another one of those moments in, in the process in the legal justice system of the U.S. that I learned how corrupt it was because they were playing me to get to my brother. And when I said no, instead of sitting down like they do in most cases get plea agreements, I was going to trial. And there was, there was one statistic that I think your audience really needs to know, and that is, and it depends on the year that you look at the numbers, but the, during the time that I was under indictment, the, the Justice Department had a 96% conviction rate. The majority of those Convictions were plea agreements because they intimidated people into pleading right. to some some alleged lesser charge to spare them a trial and greater jeopardy. Because in my case, not taking a deal, I faced five to seven years in prison if I was found guilty. And that to me is just wrong to try to just have me in a, in a case to get to my brother. And so I went to trial. Wow. And I noticed uh... – um, Robert, uh, in the book, and the gentleman you spoke of that took his life, and I was talking to yes. someone the other day in regards to that excerpt in the book. Kelly, I believe, is the gentleman's name. Chris, uh, Chris Kelly. Is Kelly? Chris Kelly. Chris Kelly, yeah, Mr. Kelly. And I, I remember uh, that portion of the book, he said that they came once with an indictment to threaten him. They came back again with a second indictment. They came back with a third indictment. And again, if you're going to charge me with a charge, bring all three indictments on the table. But the corruption side of that was meant to break Mr. Kelly, to break him. And when he said it, it, with his last breath 
They won. Tell them they won. Mm-hmm. How sick does that in me it brings a high level of anger that how do you let them that this is the cost of injustice and corruption and intimidation by who we are supposed to look to for justice and I know that had to hurt you hurt your brother but it speaks to the mass problem that we have in this country with cover ups and corruption and to what length a government entity will go to to break somebody I mean, these are the hard lessons, as you said, that you learned. Talk a little bit about what you felt at that time when Mr. Kelly passed and you heard how he died. What did that do to you? Well, until you're in the shoes of the one who's facing prosecution, you really don't know the emotion and the fear and the uncertainty that you face. And and so when Chris Kelly committed suicide, and it is not unusual for criminal defendants to take their lives for fear of going to prison and not knowing what their future is going to be. Uh, but in my case, I knew him tangentially a little bit, uh, but I, I, I understood the immense pressure he was under uh, that I knew that I was experiencing and had to mentally and physically prepare myself for trial. And so one of the things that I did, and I did write about this in the book, I, my son and I sat down and he really, he helped me put together a plan, a very simple plan to get through every single day, which was a hard thing to do, getting ready to go to trial and going to Chicago and facing the Goliath, the United States of America. It is a daunting thought. And so uh, for Mr. Kelly to commit suicide, uh, it was a very sad thing. Uh, I was not going to choose that path because I knew I did nothing wrong, angry, and I wanted an opportunity to prove my innocence. And what I learned during the trial was, it's not even a fair fight when you get into the, into, the, into the courtroom, even with the judge who's supposed to be fair and impartial, uh, because the government is lined up from the judge on through the prosecutors. And typically, most federal judges, if you look at their history, were former prosecutors. Exactly. You don't have a lot of former defense attorneys. You don't have a lot of former defense attorneys anywhere in that system. It's dominated by prosecutors who, are, who are, have their blinders on when they go after oh. someone and justify Anything to win, and I'll and I'll tell you this, uh, uh, Robert. We did, uh, and, and Cliff, you'll remember this conversation with Congressman Hank Johnson, yeah. uh, out of Georgia, and he made the statement very clear to us: the problem with the criminal justice system, it's not defense friendly. And as you said, if these are the majority prosecutors, they're prejudiced against you from the jump, from the very beginning. There's no question about that. There's no question yeah. about that. And- it is an unfair fight. And as well, I mean, you have, just like you said, uh, Rob, that the the judge, the prosecutor, the FBI agents who investigated you, they all are working for the Department of Justice. They all have the same boss. So you think you're going into a fair fight, that you have a judge that is only going to be a referee, listen to the facts, and then make a, a judgment call on, you know, basically who was lying and who told the truth. But then you find when you when you're the one who's under indictment, you're the one in trial, then you realize and not in all cases. I mean, I won't I won't throw all judges in the same boat, but you realize that, okay, you guys, you have the same boss and you're after the same thing. The prosecutor says, I gave you a chance to plea out. You didn't. So now I am going to bring the entire strength of, as you put it, the Goliath of the United States after you. And it becomes a systematic problem. 
that uh, the prosecutors do whatever they want. They can commit any crime as long as they say it was during investigating you. That that they can do whatever they want to, uh, you know, barring murder, and say, well, it was during the investigation. We were trying to get some information, and it it it, it is sickening the level of corruption in the United States justice system that we call that we call justice, and that many say, well, it's the best in the world. Well, how can it be when we have the most people in prison and the highest exoneration rate? That says, okay, we we realize we came to realize that we had so many people locked up wrongfully that uh, we're we're letting them out at record numbers. That is a sick stat to have. Yes, yeah, great they're getting out, but the fact that that many people were wrongly convicted and spent time in jail is just uh, is maddening. It's a tool. I mean, I, as you were talking, I was thinking about the plea deal. You know how how they you know throw the plea deal out to you, whether you're innocent or guilty. And they use it as a a, a a win tactic. Justice system should not be about a win or lose. Right. It should be about justice. Did 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 justice take place? What did did we did we apply the laws of this land and ensure that whatever took place, justice was in the front? No, it's not about that. It's all about a win. And that defense, I mean, it's hard to be the pro- a prosecutor. When that prosecutor represents the the good old U.S. of A, it, sure. it, it's just so hard. So until we get the until we can get our justice system to get away from this win 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 sure. at any cost, let's just get justice. Oh, absolutely. And Robert, a couple of questions. Yeah. I, I know in the book you talked about that first day. You know when you're getting brought in, you got to go to the courthouse. They're fingerprinting you. They're doing all these. Th- I mean, in a moment, your world experience a tsunami and you said in the book how you when you got home that day at the end of all you sat on that bed like man what is happening what has happened to me i mean tell the folks a little bit about that journey i mean your family and i i can only you know i can't imagine uh, in a day and all of this is coming at you what was your source of peace in trying to get through all of this well, that's a very good question, and uh, that first arraignment, when for the first time I walked into that courtroom, I realized the system is devised to intimidate the defendant. That courtroom that we were tried in uh, for almost two and a half months is the size of a high school gymnasium. It's huge. The ceiling's 30 feet tall. It's large. The judge is up on his podium looking down uh, and you know, making his uh, his rulings uh, as if it was just, you know, a day in the park, uh, not really understanding the gravity of what's going on really with the defendant and what's going on mentally. And for me, that first day when they called us up, Rod and me, to uh, accept the fact that we were indicted, understood our charges, and swear uh, that we would tell the truth and the whole truth, nothing but the truth at that arraignment, um, I could not help thinking about my parents. And if they were alive, what would have happened to see their two sons, who they were very proud of, standing before a federal judge who represented the United States of America, preparing to put them on trial? It was a it is a mentally daunting thing. And for me, uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a measurement guy. I like to measure outcomes. I have you know work off of annual plans. I was in business, served in the army. You know there were there were structures and processes in my life. And once I got into the, the 
indirect, nonlinear legal system, I learned that I had no control of my life. And the toughest thing I had to do was, one, wake up in the morning every day and face the next day and contain my anger. Because these people knew that I did nothing wrong, and they were, but they had the power to do it because they could. And sadly, once it was all over with, there, I have no recourse. We spent, I spent nearly a million dollars to defend myself. Wow. And that put, not to mention, a lot of stress uh, on me, my wife, my, my son, my entire family. But what you don't get through this by yourself. But I was determined never to give the prosecutors the satisfaction of, of bringing me down mentally or physically. And so I, I worked out every day. I ran. Uh, either ran or worked out every day. I ate right. And I had measurable things in my course of my day that I knew at least during this very dark period of my life, I could still measure and feel like I was making progress, even though I had this unknown potential five to seven years facing me if we didn't succeed in, in on trial. So it is life-altering. It, it changed me as a, as a man, and it altered my, my faith and confidence in the United States government that I always gave the benefit of the doubt to. No longer do I do that, and I'm very cynical about it. And one of the things that I learned, if I could just say this about plea agreements. No, please. The government... The government extorts witnesses. They, 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 they use, they charge citizens with extortion. It's a crime. But when the government extorts a, a family member or a, a, a friend of someone to get something out of them, threatening them with prison, if they don't testify against, say, a brother, um, that I call extortion. But it's legal when they do it. But it's right. illegal, if, and understandably, you know, out, out in the world, it's, it's illegal to extort people. But the government has justified the same tactics that, the, that people use against now their citizens, and they have legal extortion, among other things that they've stressed in the process, because no one holds them accountable. And I think that is the problem, uh, Robert, with our country right now. Uh, we have members of Congress on the Hill seeking criminal justice reform because they're saying, you know what, something's not working appropriately. We have the largest rate of incarceration in the entire world. And when I hear your story, my heart is saddened, but I'm encouraged for the courage and the uh, tenacity, if you will, of yourself to step to the challenge and say, I refuse to be intimidated by government officials and uh, they decided uh, that uh, they were not going to bring any further charges. All the charges were dropped against you. Uh, what was that moment like? <laughs> well, initially, I had asked my lawyer to submit a severance request of the judge. In other words, I wanted to be tried separately from my brother. My brother was very visible, and I thought the way he was conducting himself publicly was not good for me. I wanted to be severed from him. We put the request in. The prosecution opposed it. The judge denied it, and I went to trial. When we, as we, I testified for two days, uh, two of the toughest days of my life, but I was ready for it and prevailed, fortunately. The day, the moment I stepped off the uh, witness stand, my attorney came up to me and said, Rod's team is going to rest. Everyone was expecting that Rod, well, Rod was going to testify. Mm -hmm. And I was told because I was such a compelling witness for myself that they decided to drop the they, they decided to rest, and as a result, uh, the jury convened for three three weeks. We waited for three weeks for a verdict, hung on all charges on me, 
hung on all charges of, on Rod in the first trial except for one, which was uh, lying to investigators. And then two day, uh, the day before the, the hearing was scheduled to set the next trial date, because once you're hung, you, have go, you go on trial again, yeah. uh, I got a call from my attorney again. He said, hey, I heard from Reed Shar again, the lead prosecutor. And he said, hey, we'll give your guy his severance if he agrees to be tried after his brother's next trial. And Mike and I went back and forth. Again, this is, Lamont, another example of how they played with my life. They, they just right. they jerk you around because they can. So now they're offering a severance when before they said no. And the reason they, they offered a severance was they saw that I was a very compelling witness for myself and to help my brother. Ultimately, we said no. Next day, the hearing was scheduled uh, for 11 o'clock. Now, one thing that I was very frustrated by was Judge Zagel was always late. I calculated right. the number of hours he was late every day cost me an additional $15,000 in, in legal fees to have my lawyer oh. babysit me waiting for the judge. Outrageous. Wow. Outrageous. Hey, you so know I what, Robert? Yeah, Robert, you know what? And if you show up late you're in to court, you're in contempt of court. Oh. They're going to give you a nice uh, hotel. Uh, right. Unbelievable. You're in contempt, man. Yeah, you're in yeah. contempt. And so very quickly then, I was. Yeah. I, I didn't have to go to court that day. I waited for my attorney to, to call me. I didn't expect to hear from him. I was doing something under, under a sink, fixing a plumbing fixture that was so – the drain was very slow, and the – text message beep went off on my phone and I got up from underneath and he said, Rob, it's over. It's done. They dropped the charges against you because the government were, they were playing with my life. If I had taken, if I, if I agreed to take the severance deal, I would have still been in legal jeopardy. But since we said no to it, they had no alternative but to drop their charges. I mean, they played chicken with my life. And what was yeah. lost on me was Judge Zagel was on time because when that text message thing went off, it was 11.01, one minute after I got the text from my lawyer. So that began the rest of my life and a quest to write a book. Eventually I wrote a book, and I, today I spoke at Vanderbilt Law School. I'm going around the country who will, who will ever invite me to speak about my experience and as a warning to American citizens that we've got a broken criminal justice system. And if I can just say one other thing. I was very fortunate in many ways. I mean, I had to mortgage my house, had to, had to expend all my retirement funds to, de to defend myself. I know that the average guy could not afford the kind of defense that I was able to get and spend nearly a million dollars and get myself in hock to be able to do that because they don't have the resources. And let me tell you, your life is upside down when you're indicted. I, did, I was a fairly sophisticated guy, but I didn't know a thing about the criminal justice system, and now I do know about it, and I want to share that story with people because it's a real threat to our civil liberties. It know? really is, Robert. And I'll tell you, you know, when I, hey, folks, uh, and I'll say it to the folks in the studio, when I saw your, your profile, is this guy in GQ magazine, uh, <laughs> very uh, dapper fella, and, uh, you know, you have done some things that I think is, I guess I, we commend you, for wanting to share this message, because I, I was talking to some of our folks that, uh, you know, of a show that we may do entitled, You Do Not Have the Right to Remain Silent. Uh, in our society today, too many people are silent. Too many people will not speak out against injustice. Uh, I think what you're doing is amazing, and I think it helps the American people. It helps communities. 
And Robert, I'll just put it on the line for you. Just Cause has a a initiative called Let's Talk, uh, where we invite people around the country who can speak to issues that our communities need to be aware of. We would have no issue inviting you here uh, to Colorado if you're open for it, to share your message in one of our forums here. Uh, called Let's Talk, where the community can come out and hear your story, ask questions, and get your message out. Because that's where change happens, is in the communities. Uh, and I extend that invitation to you tonight. Are you open for that? Absolutely. That's a high compliment to me. Believe me, that's a high compliment. Yes. Let's see if we can work that out. I would well, I'm be happy gonna... to do Okay, and we're happy with that. And I'm, what I'm going to do, Robert, I'm going to get a hold of you offline uh, and if folks want to get a hold of you, now, before I go there, mm-hmm. what are you doing? I know you're traveling, you're speaking, you're doing these things. I know in the book you, it said that you got into some property management type things. Mm-hmm. Are you still doing that? Yes. Uh, I was a corporate executive for many years after I left the Army. Uh, and when I left uh, the corporate rat race, uh, I was already buying small apartment complexes. And so over the years, I bought enough properties to where now I, I'm a small business owner and I make my living off of multifamily apartments uh, in oh, in Middle yeah. Tennessee, in Kentucky, and Northern Alabama. And so I'm a small, proud small business owner uh, who hates government overreach, not only criminally but also regulatorily, right. uh, because you know we're all trying to scratch out a living. So yes, I'm, a, I'm I am very fortunate, I, and I know that I am. To have survived the tsunami that we went through as a family, uh, and for me to still be standing telling you the story in my business to have survived because it was hard to do. And and, and Robert, how is Rod doing? Uh, I, I, sadly, Rod and I are estranged. Uh, okay. I haven't talked to him, or I haven't talked to him uh, since he was uh, convicted and and and. He called, we talked shortly after that, and then since then I've even tried to visit him uh, at, at his prison facility in Littleton, Colorado. Yeah. And as I wrote in the book, I discovered I wasn't on the list. So from a personal standpoint, a tr- sure. family tragedy, but from a legal standpoint, uh, he runs a fighter, and he's got a good uh, appellate attorney representing him. They have sent his case, they have submitted it to the Supreme Court to see if they'll hear his case. Because one of the things that I can tell you, if you are a part of a wiretap case, it's called a tapes case, even if you get up and, 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 and testify, the credibility really goes with the wiretaps. And one of the big issues that my brother has is there were over 50 times my wife, Julie, went through all of these wiretap conversations, getting, re- getting us ready through discovery for me to go to trial. But she counted over 50 times when my brother told advisors or people in his circle, I want to do the right thing. Uh, I don't want to do anything illegal about filling the Senate seat. And that never got into the trial. And so that is one of the key cornerstones mm. of his of his appeal. Uh, thanks for asking. We're, we're hopeful. Hopeful. I'm cynical, but I'm hopeful that he'll get a good outcome someday. Well, that's that's good to know. And, Robert, again, AJC Radio, you have a new friend uh, in us. Uh, and we Thank are you. honored. Uh, to have had some of your time, and we're, I'm going to be in touch with you later tonight or tomorrow, uh, and we're going to talk about let's talk as we bring communities together to make a difference. And we would be honored to have you uh, as a speaker. So we're going to talk about that, Robert. If folks want to get a hold of you to share your message, uh, you want to give that out to the folks now. 
I'd be I'd be happy to. I've got two ways to do it. One, I have a website. It's Robert Blagojevich. I'll spare you the spelling, but it's you can find it robertblagojevich.com. Uh, and I'll give you my cell phone number because I have had a lot of people reach out to me who have seen me speak or read my book, and I am open to people calling me directly on my cell phone. And my cell phone number is 615-417-2605. I'll do that one more time, 615-417-2605. I welcome any call from anyone who might have a question or issue related to being a criminal defendant or what it's like to go through a trial. And I can also say that I'm kind of a yeoman lawyer. I never went to law school, but I learned a lot about the system. I learned a, a lot how to get ready for trial and had good attorneys that I learned from, and I, I tried to be a good student. So I would share whatever wisdoms I might have with anyone who has an interest. No, and that's just that's that's very respectable, Robert. And uh, I can't tell you enough how honored we are at AJC Radio and a Just Cause organization uh, as we seek justice and to bring that message uh, to citizens around the world. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining us. We're going to be back in touch with you, as I said, off offline. Uh, give our best to your family, your wife, uh, your kids, uh, and our prayers and thoughts go with you always. Thank you, Lamont. Have a good evening. Oh, you too. And uh, uh, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Robert Blagojevich, making a difference, suffered some things, went through some things, and has learned what we have learned. That justice, Lady Justice, has gone missing, and it continues to lay idle. Injustice, or justice rather, lays idle in the streets of America, and we continue to see the fallout of injustice. We'll be right back after this. We know you care. Now is time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license, and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252. Or visit a-justcause.com and click the Donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall.
million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. If you're wondering where you find yourself tonight, it is AJC Radio coming live from Colorado Springs, Colorado, the Rocky Mountains. And I'll tell you tonight, Dennis has been a humdinger. Uh, What an honor uh, to speak with uh, Robert Blagojevich in regards to his experience, his tsunami, and his experience. And uh, folks, if you want to get in on the conversation tonight, we... You can feel free to call 347-838-8976, and uh, I d- believe, Cliff, we have a caller. Yes, we do. Uh, we have a caller who wants to comment about uh, what Mr. Uh, Robert Blagojevich has spoken about. Yes, let's go to our caller. And uh, we have Truth on the line, and you're live. Go ahead. Okay, I think the thing that really troubles me, and I'm so glad he's speaking out, because we were, as a family, totally shocked over what the justice system actually does. Unless you become a victim of the system, you don't even know what's going on, because you painted one picture out here and told that we have a good system, and all you got to do is do the right thing, and if you get accused of something... If you have evidence that you didn't do it, you know, it's all okay. That is one of the biggest lies out there. And when he said uh, on some of the uh, of the calls that his brother got that, that they had tapped his line, uh, the ones that really made him look good weren't even allowed in or showed that he wasn't trying to do anything wrong. Won't even let that in. That's what surprised me more than anything is that all the evidence that the IRP-6 had, showing their innocence. They never let the jury hear any of it. That justice up there says, I'm not going to let that in. There's no reason for I not to let it in. And and this is and this is uh, 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 the judge who was over their case, Aguero. Now, if, I, if I've got evidence, why is the jury denied that evidence? You're putting yours out there. And so, and, and you're surely not true. Then when I bring evidence that this didn't happen, that didn't happen, this is what happened, we're not going to allow it in. That's not a fair trial. A fair trial is when every both sides are heard completely, even the liars such as the government, even them. Uh, you put your lies out there to the front of the jury, and you know, why do we have 96%? Of, of of all people that are in prison are plea deals. Because you won't let me put my evidence 
in front of the jury to hear what actually happened. So then the jury gets a one-sided story, and you never hear what they did, what, how, they, how, they, how they did their business, nothing. you hear nothing about anything. And so every time you say, well, what about this? I'm not going to allow that in. There's not even a reason for them not to allow it in. Because it's, effort, it's information that proves you're innocent. But I'm not going to let you do it here. But you quit calling this a fair trial. It's not a fair trial. It's anything but that. So when you go to court, you're not going to win. If the government wants to hang you up by your head, you're not going to win because uh, we're not going to let any good evidence that you've got for yourself, we're not going to allow it in. I ain't never heard of such in my life. That's why they have 96% or more of people in prison with plea deals because you better take it because we're going to tell enough lies on you, you're going to jail anyway. And so I think that's what people fear is that, well, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to win. Sometimes they'll tell you, well, you're not going to win. I mean, we had evidence all over the place showing everything. They wouldn't even consider that the jury hear. And then when the jury said, is there any, any other evidence that you have? Then they lied to the jury. The judge did and said, no, there's no other information. This was an outright lie. Had you presented all the evidence to that jury, those guys would have walked out of that courtroom free. They should have never served one day in jail because they had everything to back up what they said. Instead, the prosecutor uh, uh, brings in uh, 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 Matthew Kirsch. He brings in all these lined-up liars to tell the story. I don't know how much they paid them to do it, but they come in and tell all these lies one after another. And then the IOP six guys, they get up and impeach their, their 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 people and show you what they're lying. She doesn't even explain to the jury what impeach means. She didn't even explain it to them. A lot of American citizens do not understand different things that happen in the court of so-called law. They don't have, they don't know what goes on. And you've been told this is the way the system works. Where do you become a victim of it? And you don't have to commit any crime to become a victim. I just want your, your head and cut your head off, and I don't care what, and you better say you did it. So in other words, plea deals is saying, okay, I did it. And so I'm thinking, okay, you say you put people in prison for lying, but then you tell me that I'm giving you a plea deal and you lie and say you did it. This this is the most crooked system I've ever seen in my life. I, I would have never believed that it happened in this country until it happened to our family. I thought, is this what happened? Is this why we have so many people in prison who never committed a crime? And and our society as a whole believes the system is just grand and dandy. That's because they never did it to you. If the day ever comes that they do it to you, you will understand this system is no such thing as justice at all. This thing is about people taking advantage of people's lives, putting them away from their families, and then make it look like they're the worst criminals on the planet and they never did nothing. All the evidence our guys had showed they never committed a crime, they never did nothing wrong, and you still, and how you was going to prosecute them is because we're not going to let the jury hear nothing about what you did or how you did it. Any truth that you got that would make the government look bad, they're not allowing you to trial. That is a disaster. 
this system has to be changed, or it is unbelievable how many more prisons they'll build in this country to put people away that never should be in prison. So I appreciate this opportunity to be able to speak to that. And when I listened to him, I thought, oh, I can believe you. Because once you let it, once you walk through it, it is very plain that you're not going to get no fair trial. The, the, the government is going to have a trial. You're going you're to be sitting at that trial, but you're not going to have a trial. It's what they tell the jury. And they paint a picture all over the place. Now, if you had the opportunity to say, now the, now the, uh, the prosecutor said this, look, this is what, here, here's what we got. He said this, this is what we got. He said this, this is what we got. Oh, no, we're not going to give you that chance. We're sending you to jail. Only God can make a change in this world with the corruption and all that's going on. It's a tragedy. How many people's lives have been destroyed? It's really a tragedy. Thank you so much. And thank you for the call. And, and, and that's the point, ladies and gentlemen of America, is the fact that these things are continually going on. And we're going to go to Howell Waltz. He is familiar with the RP6 case, and he, you're not going to believe what he suffered at the hand of the system, and we call it the fear factor here on AJC Radio, the intimidation of the federal government. Let's go to that interview right now. We're excited to talk with you uh, in regards to the fear factor and the intimidation of the federal government on its citizens and actions and conduct that is unbecoming uh, for federal officials, and we wanted to share your story uh, on that program. Well, I appreciate your interest, your continuing interest in my, uh, my story, Lamont and, and Lisa. Thank you. It's nice to speak with you again. Uh, it, it got so bad uh, as my conviction was being overturned that I actually had to leave America. So I can tell you a little bit about the fear factor. Okay, and uh, what I'm going to do, uh, and if you, you can we call? Can I call you Hal? Is that all right? And please do. I'd be offended if you called me anything else. <laughs> okay, Hal. And uh, I'm going to just give you the floor, and let me give you an introduction to our listeners, ladies and gentlemen of America. Tonight, as the AJC Radio deals with an issue that is very serious in this country right now, and it is the act of intimidation by federal officials and the links that they will go to. Uh, to cover up their conduct or their corruption. Uh, this is an ongoing problem. It has become an epidemic. And today we have the privilege of having Howell Waltz, uh, a gentleman who has dealt with some issues in this country. And I'll tell you what, folks, you're going to hear some things that may blow your mind, uh, but we're going to let you hear directly from the source. And, and Mr. Waltz, thank you for joining us tonight, Howell, and we appreciate it. And I'll give you the floor, and, and as we discuss this issue, I'll start it with this question. You have felt, if you will, the wrath, if you want to call it that, of the federal government and corruption that you as a, as a citizen felt the backlash of corruption and the fear factor that we're talking about on this show tonight. Why don't you tell the folks your story, and I'll give you the floor. Well, thank you very much, Lamont. Uh, it It is frightening uh, what these people do without penalty. There is no way it seems to uh, do anything to uh, make them pay a penalty for their crimes, even including judges. Uh, for example, Judge Christine Arguello in the RP6 case. There's absolutely nothing that these guys can do for the crimes that she and Matthew Kirsch uh, committed against them 
even if they get their case overturned, uh, which is frightening. And uh, I read a study a few years ago by former White House counsel John Dean of 1,000 complaints to these judicial councils of peer review, and some of these were for criminal conduct of judges or for just an absolute uh, disregard for the law in these cases. And these attorneys risk their own livelihoods to make these complaints. Not one of these judges were determined to deserve discipline. The attorneys filed appeals in 450 of these cases, and not one was heard. So there is absolutely nothing you can do to the judges. Uh, in my own case, they literally broke the law, federal judge and the prosecutor, broke 56 federal laws. And wow. this would never have come out unless another federal judge from another state, wonderful gentleman, Mr. Art Strickland, filed a habeas into the corrupt system in North Carolina from another state where it couldn't be so easily covered up. Or I would probably not want to even say this on the air because it sounds too unbelievable. So, I, you know, it took 10 years, but I basically got my name cleared. And once we proved all this in federal court, the government just basically walked away. They defaulted. They didn't even answer. So the judge, you know, will sanction them for not you know, following his order to respond, but I guess they felt like it was better than it overtly admitting to 56 federal crimes. So, you know, what do we do? And the intimidation that these people impose on their targets is incredible. Uh, yeah. They seized my wealth up front before they ever did anything. It's taken me 10 years to get that returned. I'm still fighting to get part of it, but they had to give it back because I have never been convicted of any crime by any court of jurisdiction Yet I was ridden around for 87 months to 29 different jails and prisons. I was beaten. I was tortured. I now live in Europe and was interviewed recently by the U.N. Committee on Torture. And I suffered everything the U.S. has now in writing sworn it wouldn't do but waterboarding. So, you know, come on. When, when do these people start going to jail for their crimes? Oh, and I'll tell you this, uh, how the bottom line is if we, you or I, were guilty of violating 52 or 56 federal laws, uh, we would be under the jail if not on death row. Uh, Absolutely, and these are federal criminal code violations, 18 U.S.C. statutes, yet they do it with impunity and immunity. The only thing they're subject to is peer review. Well, you know, lawyers just decide if they did something wrong. Judges decide if they did something wrong. You know, federal agents to break the law. Nobody decides they did anything wrong, apparently, because I filed many, many complaints for myself and others during all those years of imprisonment. And they would send the complaints, the DOJ being they, would send the complaints back to the people who did it to decide if they did anything wrong. Well, well, Lamont, let me ask you this. If that is such a great way to deal with it, why didn't they just let the IRP6 guys get together with everybody else at the federal bullpen that day and say, okay, guys, let's have court? Do you think we did anything wrong? So, I mean, that's peer review. Well, okay, no, you didn't if you say I didn't, and, and everybody watches each other's back, so our jail's empty. So if peer review is such a great idea, why doesn't it work in the criminal system? Well, and I would say uh, how on that, that the criminal system uh, is exercising a high level of an abuse of power. It is a – go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I just, I'll just say it. Amen. I agree. Now, I see here how it looks like that uh, – it says here that 
uh, you received uh, dehumanizing treatment uh, at the hands of the Bureau of Prisons, which is another federal entity of the United States government. Explain a little bit about that. Well, I, I received no medical care, which one of the reasons I came to Poland, because I was uh, basically held without any medical care. I had uh, I had just some horrible dental problems and impacted uh, teeth. I had to fi- finally sue the federal government to get them to pull a, a, a tooth that had been infected for 17 months. Broke my shoulder in some jailhouse fight while they were moving me around illegally, and and they refused to even set the shoulder. Though two of their surgeons said so, I, I mean it was just just in terrible pain. Never got any medical care for seven years. Uh, it, you know, was forced to sleep on the floor. Uh, when I complained about the broken shoulder, they said, "Okay, you sleep on the floor then." So I, I've spent more months sleeping on floors uh, for a couple of years than I did in beds. Um, you know, I was beaten uh, on multiple occasions after filing lawsuits against the guards at Beckley, uh, FCP, uh, and FPC, uh, and the warden, of course. And he didn't appreciate that much. Proved criminal conduct, caught them altering prisoner records and falsifying the work reports, the work reports from the supervisors would say, excellent. And then the uh, counselors and um, and advisors would rechange that and list it on the prisoners' files as as not good or poor, so they could not get early release or get the six months they're entitled to at home. The union pushed that so that they could keep you in prison longer. So I exposed all that, and then they uh, they filled in all the ballots during the election back in 2008. So I filed a federal lawsuit on that. So you know, anytime I would do these things to point out the criminal conduct of my jailers, uh, I would be taken and beaten and threatened and harassed and, you know, all my stuff thrown out of my locker on the floor with honey and coffee poured on it. Just, you know, it was just constant, constant harassment. Uh, they would drag me out in the middle of the night and put me on the road. Uh, like to say, I was moved 29 times between jails and prisons. And you walk into a hostile environment every little bit, you know, it, it, it works on you. It, um, uh, it, it's, uh, it's terrifying because you, you know, somebody's going to try you, so you got to always be ready to fight. you got to always watch your stuff so somebody doesn't steal the few little things you have. <laughs> it, sure. Anyway, it's torture. <laughs> and, uh, you and, know, and it's, if you complain, it's trauma. And how I, I understand through this, and you understand why this particular show is so very important. How does the United States government here in the United States of America and its entities abuse its citizens? I mean, how it sounds like to me, Lisa, and you probably agree, we're hearing things here that many times exceed that in foreign countries. Oh, absolutely. What are your thoughts on that now? Oh, no, that doesn't happen over here. I'm living in the former Soviet Union, and I am free. My phone doesn't have those little clicks or hear voices on it where someone's listening to me. I, I'm not followed like I was in the States. When I was following this overturn, there was somebody on my tail every day. They broke into the homes of friends and family. I stayed in to plant stingers to listen to them. They called and threatened these people the day after I left with prosecution if they helped me. It got so bad there in the, quote, land of the free I literally left one night, did not tell my family, friends, or anyone where I was going. I didn't even answer Ethel Lopez's emails, if that tells you how much underground I went, because until until my case was heard in federal court, 
they were going to do, and it wasn't the government anymore. It was the judge in the case, W. Earl Britt of North Carolina's Eastern District, because when I won, he lost his immunity. So it wasn't even FBI or anything else. To the FBI's credit, they literally refused to be a part of this second round. So the judge got his U.S. Marshals to do all these illegal things. So anyway, I, I, but on the front end, this where it's really scary because you know I know now how corrupt the government is. I know they will do absolutely anything to be able to put another win on you know the scalp on 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 their their lodgepole, another trophy on the wall. These prosecutors are absolutely lawless and they're unaccountable. So the first thing we need to do is is remove any immunity for any of these federal thugs and black robes and agents and prosecutors. And if they violate your rights, which is an 18 USC crime, 241 and 242, conspiracy to violate rights and violation of constitutional rights, they do it every day, every day, and not one of them goes to jail. So that's the first key. Hold these people accountable. No more immunity from prosecution. And 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 to that point, and Lisa, with that being said, now this is a dangerous this is dangerous territory, if you will, of what we're facing here as a country. Now, the FBI, the IRS, the these big government offices or entities, if you will, connected to the U.S. government. Uh, their their reputation precedes them as far as the corruption that they have done. Yeah. The danger now, according to you, how is that now you have judges stepping outside of the role of judge, which they are supposed to be the referee in proceedings. Now we have judges trying to bring payment, if you will, or revenge or whatever you want to call it, on its citizens. Then at that no. point, you're not fit to wear the robe. That's your no, word. hell no. And unfortunately, there's a constitutional slip up that occurred because, you know, when Alexander Hamilton proposed life uh, tenure for judges, it was to give them some feeling of security to keep it out of the political case. But now, as, as I mentioned with these formal complaints, that's all you've got left you can do to them. The House, of course, has not have the courage to remove but eight of these guys, and most of those were issues of moral turpitude. You know, they they could they can do anything to us illegally from the bench, cost people their lives literally uh, in prison or in executions, and there's nothing we can do to them. The only way they go out of a job is if they get caught caught with a woman or have their nose in the candy jar. And I'm not talking about the Hershey. So it's 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 you know these people are are literally thugs and criminals, but there's nothing that we can do. So therein yeah. is the problem. But I, I, I think that we may have even discussed uh, one of these issues the last time I was on w- with you and Lisa, but um, are you familiar with the recent admissions by the FBI and the DOJ where they have admitted to falsifying evidence in trials for over 20 years? Hey, you're talking in regards to DNA, is that correct? Well, no, actually, it started with their hair analysis department, Correct. and they have now had to come out and admit that this elite forensic unit gave flawed testimony in, quote, almost all trials in which they offered evidence against criminal defendants over more than a two-decade period. Now, that yeah. sense has been expanded to their, you know, their bullet uh, department, fingerprints. It's now turned out that they they have all been fudging for decades 
to do whatever the U.S. Attorney's Office told them to do, and this admission was made because of independent studies that proved it, so the FBI and the DOJ issued a joint statement. So now, my point is twofold. First of all, the guys that are supposed to be the ones investigating these cases have admitted to lying on the stand and falsifying evidence for decades. Now, the second shoe that hit the floor, though, was a wonderful article in June of last year called The Destruction of Defendants' Rights in the New Yorker, and they cite a landmark Columbia Law study where they proved that before they did away with habeas corpus in 1995, that seven out of every ten cases they found to have reversible error where the people were absolutely innocent. Now, I went through and did the math on these cases. I spent quite a bit of time on this. Seventy-three percent of the cases at state and federal level. This is in death penalty cases, guys, death penalty cases, where you would think they would be a little more careful. Those cases had to be overturned when they were gone through. Now, in my own experience of working on over 400 criminal cases and in my own personal experience, I know that they get it wrong almost all the time. This was them admitting a 73% error rate. Now, let me ask you on your radio show, if all of a sudden you forget what you're saying and, and you go mute for two or three minutes and you did that on three out of four of your shows, do you think you'd still be on the radio? Probably not. Suppose a doctor, three out of four operations. Oh, my God, I was supposed to take out his gallbladder and I took out his heart. Oh, my God, well, I messed up. Let's go play golf. Three out of four times they get it wrong. You got the guys who are supposed to be getting the evidence right, independent. They're faking it and lying about it. And now you've got it at state and federal courts, got it wrong three out of four times. That means I did the math just yesterday to get ready for the show. That's 53 million Americans that went to prison or were executed wrongfully. Wow. wow. That's, a big, that's a big number. That's a huge number, and go ahead. Go ahead, Al. So, so anyway, I, I mean, you guys are right on target, but the upfront fear factor makes people plead guilty even if they're not. So they're fudging the evidence because they know they'll never have to prove anything in court because 97% of the people are going to cop a plea because they just throw you in a county jail, and these places are horrible. I hope you never go to one, but when you're in there and move you around and move you around and move you around, you're sleeping on the floor wearing these horrible I'm guilty suits, orange, you know, poplin, and you got to walk into court in chains in front of your family. It's everything possible to humiliate and degrade you. Fights break out every minute. I saw at breakfast one day in the murderer's pod where they held me in solitary for a year where they'd let us out for meals only. And, you know, nine people got carried out on stretchers with homemade knives and everything else in their guts. Or, you know, <laughs> and these are unconvicted American citizens. For seven no, years they, they did that. I never was convicted. So, you know, it, it's just criminal. So the fear factor in jail, and then you get the calls to your family Oh, my God, our bank accounts are locked down. Oh, my God, I have no credit. I can't buy the children food. Uh, oh, I got a call. They're threatening that if I don't just testify against you, that they're going to come after me. You know, anyway, all of these intimidating factors. Then they go to all your neighbors and your friends and say, hey, uh, we think you might have done something, too, but we won't bother you if you agree to testify against, you know, Hal or Lamont or Lisa. So 
It's absolutely criminal. So they finally force you into a box, illegally holding you because the statute is clear. They can only hold you 90 days, even if you're accused of murder. That's the law. That's federal statute also. I never saw it once regarded. You're supposed to be tried in 70 days. Never once did I see them follow federal law. And that applies to states as well under under Title VI of the Constitution. So, yeah, I don't know. I chose to leave. It, it, I'm, I love my country. I love what it's supposed to do, be. But what the federal government, and, of course, they then taught the state government to break the law just like they did, it, it is absolutely criminal. And I'm, I don't know what the solution is. Uh, I lied about it, about it. I had to leave because the U.S. Marshals were coming and threatening me. I got death threats if I didn't quit giving speeches and being on radio shows and writing books. So I had to leave. This is all. This is all after everything is supposedly completed with you. You're still getting. You were still having these issues. Oh yeah, because I tried to get my name cleared and did. So that removes this Judge Britt's immunity from lawsuit because he not only acted outside of his authority. He had no jurisdiction in the case. He was two federal jurisdictions away, but it's a long story and more complicated than you need to know. But it was a political vendetta against the guy that tried to keep this old judge off the bench back in 1980. Well, I was his banker and his trust officer, so they kidnapped me saying, all right, here's what you'll say against the guy. It was just a good old North Carolina political vendetta, and, and you know, politics in North Carolina is a blood sport. So, you know, I was in the middle, and they said, here's what you'll say against this guy, and you're free. I said, but, but it's not true. You know, I, I, gave, I wrote the suspicious activity report years ago that we couldn't get source of funds information. Well, here's what you're going to say anyway, or you're going down. I can't say that. It's untrue. So that's, what, so that's how I get ridden around for 87 months, because I won't help a federal judge get even with his enemy. And that is uncomprehendable. And uh, let me let me tell you this: How we had a case here in Colorado that that happened here. A gentleman was given; uh, he was 19 years old, held up a store with an unloaded gun, um, and basically his attorney came to him saying, "You're going to do 15 years." Uh, they thought it was going to be 90 years. His attorney came to see him, said, "You're only going to do 15 years." He does 10 years. He is paroled after 10 years for good behavior, model inmate, no issues. Uh, he gets out. He starts a family. He gets married, has children, buys a, home. buys a home. All of these things starts his life six and a half years later. A judge in this case who was the, who was the prosecutor at the time became a judge and said, I'm going to look up how uh, Mr. Uh, Rene Lima Marin's doing found out that he was released on parole, the judge got involved and said, we are, again, former prosecutor of, of this young man, and said, he, we made a mistake. This was a clerical error. Sent him back to prison for 90 remaining years for a crime that no one was hurt, no loaded weapon, no bullets in the gun. And they ripped him from his family, his two children, his wife, his newlywed wife. And the prosecutor came forward and said that Mr. Rene Lima Marin had no right to buy a home. He had no right to start his life over. Department of Corrections uh, agreed that he was paroled. He had completed it. They didn't even get married until it was completed. How does that happen in America? 
This man is sitting every in, day. Every day. Yeah. Every day. That's unbelievable. I mean, I when I, I hear you people out of prison and they would just send them back because they were mad that we proved that they had been illegally convicted. I mean, it's just it it is so heartbreaking and frustrating that. I, I literally had to take a break from helping on cases because, you know, I, I would, I couldn't sleep, and, and it, because there's, it's so hopeless. I, I don't, I don't know the answer. I, I just, I, I don't know the answer. I, I just want to cry. I mean, it, it absolutely breaks my heart for these people because I knew thousands of them. Because the one thing about moving me all over the country, all those times, all those years. I couldn't go anywhere without knowing somebody. I'd either worked on their case or bunk with them or whatever. And I know these horror stories, and I have a face to go with them like you do. You know six people behind bars that don't belong there, and now by doing this show, you know hundreds. So I, I don't know what we can do. I, but I, I tell you what, we, what, what could change it. They have disenfranchised now. 73 million Americans, literally one out of four. They, they've robbed them of their constitutional rights, taken away their vote. They can't defend themselves or their family for the rest of their lives. Now, that's one out of four. So they have, and mostly black and brown, mind you, so they can't vote. I'm beginning to think there's some sort of conspiracy there. But that's where we could make a difference, I believe, if we could fight somehow, some way, to get all these disenfranchised people their right to vote. Then they become the most powerful political block in American history, and they could change any election with one vote. That's absolutely the truth. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, again, we're talking to uh, Mr. Howell Waltz, a gentleman who has felt the wrath and the uh, the – Troubling corruption of our U.S. government. If you want to get a, get in on this conversation uh, following this interview, feel free to call 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. And, uh, Hal, I'll tell you right now, and, and I'm very, very sorry, uh, we go further into your story. I want you to tell the folks a little bit about this. Uh, forced to plead guilty to a crime you didn't commit and give testimony against the real target of a federal investigation – how your wife became a collateral uh, target, if you will, of this situation, that you were not the only one affected by this extreme level of corruption and fear and intimidation, but your wife became a casualty of this injustice. Tell the folks about that. Yes, they kidnapped her, and the agent uh, even laughed at me. I said, why are you grabbing my wife? You know, I don't understand why me, but why my wife? And he said to make sure you do what we tell you to do. And I said, you grab, you kidnapped my wife for leverage? And he laughed at me. He said, you're pretty new to all this stuff, aren't you? Well, then they put me in a room, you know, without counsel, which is, again, illegal. And they interrogated me for hours and hours. They said, well, look, if you just say this about this guy, Curran, you know, we'll let you, you and your wife go. And I said, but you admitted that we did nothing. And this agent Schiller just laughed at me. He said, yeah, that's right, dude. Yeah, you didn't do a, a, a – I won't say it on your radio show. These people are very crude generally, and he yeah. you know, used bad language, and he said, said, yeah, that's right. He said, but we're going to hold you both until you say what we tell you to say. That's hold the on way a it operates. I'll say that and, one more time. These are – and who are the people making that statement? 
Are they federal marshals? No, this was a, a U.S. government agent that was on the case that had tried to set us up. Uh, in fact, they sent uh, in uh, undercover agents to the IRS trying to set up a sting operation. We refused their business and had, you know, they said, well, you're getting into gray areas. We don't deal in gray areas. What they were trying to do was get a real reason to arrest me so that they could then leverage me with something real. We, we kicked out their agents and said, you, people don't seem to be honest. We don't want your business. Refuse to take your money. So, you know, they just grabbed us anyway and said, all right, here's the deal. We couldn't catch you or get you to do anything wrong, so now we're telling you. You're gonna, we're going to hold you in solitary in the murderer's pod. And it was, it was a pretty rough place, i got to tell you. I still keep in contact with people on death row. i got a letter over here in Poland from Michael Sherrill, a poor man they're going to murder in North Carolina. And we proved that it was impossible for him to have committed the murders because he drove a FedEx truck and they had tracking. So I subpoenaed the records. And Anyway, but it, the, the memories I carry from those days are horrible, but they just throw, threw me in solitary, said, all right, every few weeks we'll come and check on you, see if you're ready now. When I kept refusing, kept refusing to lie for them, you know, they, they got my wife to start sending me letters, and they broke her, and she agreed to say anything about these guys. But I refused. I said, I will never testify falsely against anyone. So the only thing they got me to do in exchange for letting her go a year later was they said, all right, we've gotten these people to testify guilty, to sign a guilty plea. Now, if we just put in yours, say, the government has said this happened, and I don't just I will not contest it, then we'll let your wife go. So that's what I did. I never did testify against these people falsely. I you know, I, I couldn't. I wasn't brought up that way. And you're telling me they held your wife for a year? Yeah, it was almost a year. Uh, they kidnapped us April eighteenth, it's just a few days away, ten years ago, and they held her until February of the next year. She wrote me a letter, said she was dying. They sent a guard into my cell late in the middle of the night, and she said she worked between both pods, and she said, Mr. Wolf, you better do what you have to to get your wife out of here. She's dying. We've already taken her to the hospital for dead. You know, it all turned out to be a ruse to get me to do this, so I did it, and uh, they immediately freed her and understand she had actually ended up working for them on other cases for money. So. Uh, when they when they get into your life, these people are absolutely ruthless and and no no limits because there's no oversight of U.S. attorneys as you saw with Matthew Kirsch. I mean, this guy can do whatever he wants. They don't even have to talk about mens rea, you know, the intent to break a crime. They can get that out absolutely. of the way. Absolutely. And and uh, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you this: how this is so overwhelming to me right now that you're talking about the fear factor. You're talking about a place that we call the home of the free. We call, and we want to point our fingers at other countries and talk about their violations of human rights. America is guilty, far worse, in my opinion, as I you talk tonight. This is unbelievable. How do you kidnap a man's wife, Lisa, his wife? And and, and here's the thing, Hal. They stop at nothing. No. What is that? How is that possible? They, they, and it's, it's. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm laughing because I'd be crying otherwise. But they left our two little boys in the house out in the middle of the country, uh, uh, knowing that they grabbed both of us. So I asked the FBI agent. I, you know, I was just seething. 
And I said, all right, you kidnapped us. I got, and they were from another jurisdiction, again, breaking the law, because uh, the, the U.S. Attorney's Office in our home jurisdiction refused to be part of what they have since called a scam uh, prosecution. So anyway, so they kidnap us, and they leave my children in the home asleep without parents. Now, here was the deal I found out later. They were going to put pressure on us even more by giving our children to foster parents, claiming that we abandoned them after they kidnapped us. So, I mean, you know, fortunately, my best friend is the chief of police in our town, and he was coming out to take the kids to go fishing. He stood down the FBI and said, I'll put you boys in jail if you mess with these kids. He took my children and raised my children for the chief of police did. You know, and, and then wrote the judge and said, I, you know, I can't believe what you people have done in this case. You've broken every law in the book. And it's just uh, – anyway, so, yeah, it's, it's oh. a pretty big story. But it was actually on a film, as was the federal judge, that helped me get overturned. Uh, they did a film about my story called Justice Denied. It's on YouTube, and some of my speeches are there. And, and what they required me to do before I could give any of these speeches or presentations – is I had to get evidence of all of these things I'm talking about or, or letters I'd written at the time or letters to my attorneys or whatever or official you know, filings of complaints of misconduct before I could use those items on speeches or in books or whatever. So I've had to get all of this vetted pretty thoroughly, or I don't bring it up. Well, I'll tell you what, Hal, you have been through a nightmare. I mean, this, this, this is... sounds like a... This sounds like a, a, a a horror movie. Well, I'm somebody, somebody needs to get the movie going and let the American well, it, people it, know. That's in the works too, but I, I'll just leave it at that. I'm, oh God, I'm afraid oh, to say anything. But oh, yeah. that's fine. Uh, Man, I want to ask you a question. Go ahead, Hal. I'm sorry. It's amazing over here though. It is so free. I can't believe it. They have hardly any laws. You only go to jail unless you kill somebody or you rob them or you rape them or what you know. What are really, really crimes? We now have 314,000 ways Congress has invented to send us to prison. 314,000 laws with prison as a penalty. I mean, come on. You know, so they don't have to catch you at anything. You just got to get your cell phone, and the NSA has got to give them a little data and say, all right, well, we'll find where you pulled the tag off a pillow or you told a friend that you were thinking about uh, – about uh, collecting water off your roof or maybe you help free a fish. These are all federal crimes I'm mentioning, by the way. Uh, you know, it just is absolutely ridiculous. So they can get you on anything, <laughs> create a huge slate of, of charges, federal criminal charges, as they call them, things that when I was a kid, you know, back in, you know, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s were not even against the law, and then say, you're going to prison for life, or... You agree to testify against your neighbor, and you give us a list of people you think may have done something wrong, and then they're off on the next hunt. And you go to jail for a few years, have a criminal record, lose everything you have, ruin your life, and you know, they move on. They've got another conviction. That's the game. I'll tell you what, Hal, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, this show is dedicated, as all our shows are, to the IRP6. We're going to get into that conversation here in closing with uh, – uh, uh, how Waltz, because he's very knowledgeable about the IRP-6. Who are these men who have felt the fear factor, who have felt the abuse of power by our federal government? They are Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. These are the, the men known as the IRP-6. And, and, and how you are familiar with the injustice, these men have been sitting in prison for 
going on four years for a crime they never committed. And what all they did they were guilty of is creating software to keep America safe. Tell the American people your thoughts of the injustice and how fear was applied to these six patriots of America. Well, it is absolutely unbelievable. And unfortunately, you finally got, you know, Judge Sorokin involved in telling the world that this was wrong and that Judge Arguello broke, broke the law. And I can't believe she's still hiding that transcript to prove her own errors. Yeah, this judge and this prosecutor need to be in jail, not these guys. I, like I say, I've spent all those seven years working on criminal cases, and I cannot find anything that these people did. If they had not been attacked by the government, they could have paid their bills. My goodness, they already had commitments from the New York Police Department and other federal agencies saying, oh, this is great. This is the answer to our prayers. Yes, we want it and testimony that they were going to buy it. Well, then the feds come in, and like they did with me, they lock down everything you have so you can't even hire a lawyer, and then they put the screws to you, throw you in jail so you can't defend yourself, and then, oh, well, they didn't pay their bills. Well, the federal government, they're not supposed to be bill collectors. That's not listed in Section one, Article, sorry, Section 8 of Article 1 as a federal duty. So they can't do it, but that's exactly what George Arguello and Matthew Kirsch, the prosecutor, when they could not find a crime, they're going to get these scalps anyway. I don't know why. I don't know what the real agenda behind it was. I, I can't even figure it out. At least in my case, you know, we determined it was a political vendetta. Okay, I got it. But what did these guys do that make a judge and a prosecutor willing to break the law other than the fact that they had so violated them in the process, I guess they figured they had to put them in jail to keep themselves safe. Well, I, that's all I can figure. No, and, 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 and how we appreciate that in your defense of the IRP-6. And I'll tell you right now how we are always privileged, and we're going to respect your time for sure uh, today. We appreciate uh, what you have shared uh, a little bit that doesn't even scratch the surface of the fear factor of the federal government and the things and the links that they will go to and how I'm going to give you an opportunity to give people information, how to get a hold of you if they're interested uh, in learning more about your story. We will definitely post something at our website uh, at your at your request if you want, uh, how folks can get a hold of you. What is the best way that folks can learn the story about how Waltz? Well, uh, some kind folks put a lot of it up on www.justicedenied.com, and it it has the you know the documentary film, which ended up winning one of the top four student films in the world last year at Sundance. So these kids did a wonderful job. And in fact, they're on the way over here to see me. We're talking about maybe doing an extended version. It also has some of my books. I've written three or four books now on the subject. Uh, Justice Denied being the main one. And it looks like that is going to be a movie. Um, you know, I don't count on anything until it happens, and I hate to get too involved there because those people will be threatened and thrown in jail to prevent it. But uh, if it's out of the country, they can't do anything about it. Uh, That's so, right. You know, com, and my books are on on uh, Amazon, all of them. So um, and I've recently released a spiritual book about this journey and, you know, just things that came to me that year in solitary uh um, about how we all got to figure out how to get along rather than putting each other in prison and killing each other. So that, it's been a journey, but I will end it with this. Um, I came over here to have surgery on my eyes and my dental work, 
because I couldn't afford it there and I had to leave to get away from the federal thugs and uh, fell in love with my doctor. And she and I got married, absolutely the most wonderful woman in the world, and uh, I've never been happier. So there, uh, you know, there is a happy ending to my story at long last. Uh, um, it's just, it's just wonderful. She is just the most amazing lady uh, in the world. And I'm back in school learning Polish, so I can talk to her fully. <laughs> so so and we I have can... a good life, and I'm still fighting, still writing, uh, and still willing to do radio shows anytime. Fine folks like you uh, need need a need a word or two on the air. And I got a question for you: How uh, just cause? And you don't have to give me an answer. You can give me an answer offline if you like. Do you come back to the United States for any reason? Not until Judge W. Earl Britt is back with his father in hell. I, 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 he's got his U.S. Marshals primed and ready to grab me and kidnap me again. We were informed. My old investigator, uh, from I was a banker, you know, found this out, and he warned me when I was going to my niece's wedding. He said, don't even go to North Carolina or the states. This judge wants to grab you and hold you to get his immunity restored by forcing you to take a charge in his district where he does have jurisdiction. So, you know, because I can sue him now. So, I, no, I'm not going to go back to America until America is free again, and that looks like that'll be a while. All right. Uh, and ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Hal, thank you so much. We appreciate your support. I know the IRP6. We will uh, send them your, be- you know, uh, your best to them as they continue, and Ed Yes Calls continues to fight for justice and to bring these men well, home. I know what they're feeling, my friend, and just tell them to keep their heads up and and don't don't lose faith because it you know it will be a better day. Uh, it will. It's coming. They can't keep disenfranchising people at the rate they are now and not have a backlash, which I think has already started. No, definitely, Hal, and and give my best to your wife uh, and to your family. Uh, we our prayers and thoughts are with you always. We appreciate you being an ally to a just cause and AJC Radio. And vice versa, we will always be here for you as well. We appreciate you so very much, and thank you for taking time to call us, and we wish you the very, very best, and I'm sure we'll be in touch with you again soon. Thank you, Lamont. Thank you, Lisa. Best to Cliff and Ethel. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. The fifth factor, ladies and gentlemen, that plagues a nation and runs rampant in the streets of America, where you hear from this man, Lisa, how won't, it doesn't even seem real what you're listening to. It sure doesn't. I mean, you would never believe that, that is, that's something that actually happened in this country. And this, look, is unre- this is unreal. And he's only scratching the surface of what he suffered. How cruel do you have to be to do such a thing? To a man and his wife, and number one, his wife held for a year as a point of leverage? That is... This is unbelievable. And ladies and gentlemen, there you have it, the fifth factor. This is AJC Radio as we seek to bring the message of justice all around the world. And today we deal with a very important issue, the fifth factor of federal government of the United States, entities that continue to violate law and trample the Constitution under their feet. Folks, we're coming right back. We'll see you in a moment. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. 
trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today. 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world, and that was uh, Howell Waltz telling his story of all that is going on, but tonight we take a shift now to what you didn't know about the RP6. Who are these men? Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker, Patriots of America. As we have discussed tonight on this program, the fear factor, the acts and conduct of court officials, of judges, of prosecutors to violate the law and to humiliate, to destroy, if you will, the lives of its citizens. Tonight we ask the tough questions, we seek the answers, and we look for a way. And right now, this is what you didn't know about the RP6. That business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And, and then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the RP6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. It became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, And it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to jail. Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 
has turned into a nightmare. Crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org. Sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. And this is what you didn't know about the IRP-6. As we have pulled back the cover or the mask of justice, and we have found something alarming. It is called injustice. The IRP-6 men were, as we have dealt with tonight on this program, acts of, intimida- of, acts of intimidation, acts of corruption, acts of just flat-out wrongdoing to secure a conviction. What you didn't know about the IRP-6 is that they were also uh, in a position to feel the wrath of intimidation and to experience the fear factor by a corrupt judge, as alluded to by Howard Waltz, Judge Christine Arguello, threatening a jury, telling them that if they came back with a hung jury, if they voted their conscience, they would be financially responsible for the cost of the IRP-6 trial. Cliff, speak to this issue and to the acts of intimidation by this proceeding. Well, I mean, that that issue that you mentioned there, Lamont, that is so far beyond what is a legal procedure in a in a in any trial. You don't threaten the ju- the jurors are there to say, uh, you know, they're supposed to be jurors or your peers. Most of the time, they're not in probably 99.99% of the situation. They are not jurors or your peers. And then, like you said, with Judge Christine Arguello, she's giving them instruction basically saying, you do not come back with your conscientious vote. You better bring me a verdict. If if you don't like the evidence, too bad. And then, uh, as the caller, the truth alluded to earlier, when Judge Arguello was asked by the jury, is there any more evidence? Do we have anything else to look at? You, you're not getting any more evidence. These are things that are totally outside the process and procedure of a, a federal trial, and that is a lack of due process for the defendants. And the judge and the prosecutor, you know, basically bat you around like a, you know a cat and mouse game until they get a jury to come back with the verdict that they want. But you look at the acts of intimidation all the way from the time of the raid at IRP Solutions, you send in 22 armed FBI agents to a company that has 15 employees. Yeah, I mean, you, when, when they come in, they say they're looking for financial records. When they were looking for financial records at Enron, they sent two FBI agents for a company that had thousands and thousands of employees. IRP Solutions with 15 employees, they send over 20 agents arm, come in, slapping handcuffs on the desk, uh, corralling all the black people into a break room saying you don't go anywhere unless we tell you to, uh, standing agents at each door, armed, saying even if you want to go to the restroom, you're going to get permission from us. And then after the raid, they went to uh, members of, you know, the, the IRP-6, they they attend the same church. They went to members of the of the church, other parishioners of the church, went to their houses 
uh, one FBI agent came to one individual's house that was a uh, used to be a consultant at IRP Solutions, got the pizza man to give him the pizza and his hat to try to uh, do some quantum coercion. The 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 gentleman he wasn't home, but then his neighbor said the FBI agent comes to their houses saying, "Hey, where is he?" Yeah, the FBI is looking for him. He's in trouble. This is totally outside of procedure that you go to somebody's neighbors telling them the FBI is looking for them, and we need you to tell the, tell us where they're at. That is not protocol. Then you have another individual. They try to use this fear factor of uh, laying two piles in front of this former consultant. He said, consultant. I have two lists. I have two lists. And this was a former uh, consultant at IRP Solutions. IRP Solutions. I have the good list. And the bad list. Basically, these are people who are staying out of prison. These are the people who are going to prison. This is during the investigation, so-called, wow. by the FBI agent John Smith saying, now, which list do you want to be on? Depending on what you tell me, what information you give me, that's the list that you're going to be on. Wow. Another individual, they arrested him. He had some former issues uh, back in Michigan. They tell him, if you give us something on IRP Solutions, We'll make all this go away. He said, I don't have anything to give you. We'll give us something. I don't have anything. You're going to have to go ahead and, uh, and, and take me back to Michigan. These are the type of tactics that the FBI, the prosecutor, the judges use to try to ensure that they get a conviction. And like I said, it starts from, uh, from what we know. It starts from the raid. It starts from the time they begin the investigation on you. That's why they say the federal government can indict a ham sandwich. And rest assured, if you get indicted, your your chances of going to prison are much higher than uh, than you getting off. Well, I'll tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, the IRP six. Who are these men who were who were given fear? And I would like to call them scare tactics. And we're not talking about the sci-fi series. We're talking about an issue to implore tactics. Family members, to the point, you see what happened to the man uh, uh, with Robert, uh, and laid on the floor dying after three indictments. Please tell us what we want to hear. The casualties of war. This is not a game. This is not something we're watching on television. This is the, these are the lives of six innocent men who are sitting, languishing in prison, for a crime never committed as a result of the fear factor and the acts of intimidation by the government. Who are these men? This show is dedicated to these six men, patriots of a nation who have the power and the ability to keep the homeland safe. Dave Zappolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. We need you to go to change.org, sign the petition as we seek for justice, as we seek and ask the president to... Bring relief to these men who should, have, who should not have spent one day in jail or custody, but as a result of a system that is broken and a country that remains silent, we have this issue. We ask you to go to change.org, search IRP6, and I'll tell you, this is, this is actually a matter of national security. Who are the perpetrators of justice? There are people responsible for the wrongful conviction of these men. Lisa, who are they? They are U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, 
Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Moen, Former Federal Agent John Epke, Former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodread, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Richard, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Staten Jr., Attorney Rick Cornfell, Attorney Mark Garrigo, Susan Holland of ETI Professional Services, and Samuel K. Thurman. And thank you for that. Uh, Cliff? Yes, I want to say thank you to uh, everyone who called in, everyone in the chat room. also want to say thank you to our guest, uh, Robert Blagojevich and uh, Mr. Howell Waltz. We appreciate you guys taking time out of your evening to spend that with us. also want to say thank you to our production team, Captain Kyle and Dustin Jackson, K&D Productions, helping out El Skills Girl in the control room, making it, making sure you can hear what we have to say. Also to our production support team, they offer us accurate and up-to-date information so we can pass that on to you. And to the truth, we know you're out there. We appreciate it. And ladies and gentlemen of America, go to agcradio.com if you'd like to see, uh, listen to this program. All of our shows are archived there. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Again, go to change.org. Search IRP6 as we look for answers and we seek for justice. And I'll tell you right now, folks, this problem is going nowhere until we stand up and fight against wrong. Wrong will never right itself. It's going to take a people and a nation to step to the call. This is AJC Radio. We sign off tonight live from Colorado Springs. I'm Lamont Banks, Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and the entire AJC Radio team. Good night, America, as we continue to bring the message of justice all around the world. Good night. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, Maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they have committed themselves to that over that. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. So that's because I say we aren't going to let any dog or water hoses We aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. with me now, because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. 
Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. <laughs> 